0: Okay. Um, now, if you go back to page thirty-two, uh, I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to assume that my page numbers are all right from now on. But if ever my page numbers don't make sense, tell me, will you? So I think it's page thirty-two, which says Genesis one and when on high. When on high is the. Uh, the first first word, those are the first words um, of that creation story story in Babylon, Enumar Elish, in the words, uh, is the Akkadian, uh, the Akkadian opening words, Uh, and it's it's common in the Eastern cultures to name something by opening words, so in the Bible, the, um, the Jewish name, the Hebrew name for the book of Genesis is Bereshit which is which means in the beginning which are therefore the first words um of the uh of Genesis. When on high are similarly the first words uh, of that Babylonian, that Babylonian creation story. So on page thirty two, comparison of these two. The basic order of events in When on High parallels Genesis and there are similarities in points of detail. For instance, Tiamat, who comes in that story, um, that her name may be etymologically related um, to the word to home the word for the deep in Genesis and if it's not actually etymologically related then the one might remind an Israelite uh, of the other when you've heard the word to home it could easily make you think about Tiamat in that story that you do, that your neighbours uh, each year humanity is created to serve the gods in both stories and there are similarities in other Mesopotamian creation stories where um, humanity is created from clay, uh, the same as in Genesis. Somebody asked me that personally, why was uh, Adam made from the dust of the earth? I'm tempted to say, well, what would you make? What would you have made Adam out of? Um... Uh, admittedly, the word "dust" is a bit—I um, think it's a misleading good of the translation. It means for me to do Made out of the stuff that's there, made out of the matter that's there, um, and uh, there's part of the um, what lies behind that uh, is the fact that uh, the word for ground in Hebrew is Adamar and the word for a human being, for humanity, is Adam. Um, so the very words suggest a kind of linkage. Between uh, humanity and the earth. Uh, and you can kind of see why. Because I'm afraid, guys, that when you die, you become the soil. The, the soil eats Adamar eats up Adam at the end. So it's appropriate that that's appropriate that should be the end because that kind of uh, other Mesopotamian stories refer to a tree of life uh, and to water of life. So you can see overlap, of course, in the um, symbolism that they use. Paragraph 2, both these documents, Genesis and When on High, assume that behind the human and the physical world, there are ultimate personal realities. In other words, their worldview is theistic. And that's something that Genesis and the Babylonian story have in common over against um, stories about creation that emerge from Western from modern Western culture. Uh, where you don't um, assume that there are ultimate personal realities behind the physical world and the human world. But, in When On High, the ultimate realities, absolute here, Mat-Mumbo, are still tied up with the material. There's no real concept of beginning in the Babylonian story, since matter itself is eternal. Genesis itself doesn't actually say... Um, uh, well, it's probably Genesis doesn't, doesn't make a declaration about the origin of matter. It's kind of presupposing because it's a matter. Uh, but there are other passages of the Old Testament that make clear the assumption that, that God did bring matter into existence. But the ultimate realities in the Genesis story uh, aren't the gods, because the gods uh, came from those ultimate realities. The gods aren't eternal. The gods are material. So, paragraph three, when on high, thus makes no clear distinction between gods and human beings. Both made from matter. Both multiply by means of biological reproduction. The life of the gods <coughs> reflects the life of human beings. They marry, they procreate, they enjoy family life, that's the right verb for it, um, they eat and drink. They quarrel. Disunity on earth is mirrored in disunity in heaven. Or rather is the mirror of it, depending on which way around you you look at that. The gods can be perplexed and fooled and frustrated. They are harsh, malicious, and they rejoice in evil. Evil is a permanent supernatural reality. There's no morality in heaven except the morality of violence. Gods can die. Now, all through through this, imagine the Israelites in Babylon, knowing that's what their neighbours believe, and uh, imagine how powerful a gospel story is the Genesis 1 account of creation therefore. So, so we get that. Contrast Genesis assertion, then, that sin and conflict and trouble are not ultimate realities. They don't derive from an original, a, an original lack of coherence in being itself. They derive from the failure of creative beings, animal and human. God is one. Uh, one or two people picked up the uh, let us make humanity um, marriage and uh, or... Uh, and/or the notion of God be, of, of the human beings coming to become us. And three. Um, the the Old Testament as a whole doesn't assume that God uh, is sits there on his own in heaven, or possibly the three of them. Um, it's, uh, or at least they don't realise there are three of them. For are later, for later. It assumes there's lots and lots of supernatural beings, and in that sense, it's quite like the, uh, the assumption of the except that in Israel, uh, the Israelites know, or at least they're supposed to know, that there's one of these beings who is really totally different from all the other ones, and who is the origin of their being, so that they are, as we usually say, angels, sons of God, sometimes, not, sometimes not, says. Uh, the not but Yahweh. Um, is of a different order of being than any of those. Nevertheless, it may be that when Genesis talks about let us, maybe God's associating himself with these uh, other characters, uh, maybe it's like uh, when a Queen uh, is making a pronouncement and she says, we have decided, well which means I have decided uh, what it isn't. Uh, at least in the awareness of the people who wrote Genesis, um, and the people who are listening to it, is an indication that they knew about the Trinity. Now, of course, God knew that he was Trinity, so maybe in inspiring it, in in fact, God was smiling to himself um, about the fact that he knew that he was they, um, in in this other sense. But that isn't what um, God was inspiring the writers to say for the sake of their readers. Um, and what more you have an indication of in Genesis 1 is that fact that you're reaching, as we saw on Monday, uh, an indication of point when something really important is happening and God goes, goes in for this special act of deliberation. Um, and I think that's more, it's more that kind of rhetorical point, the significance of the is this significance of the presence, rather than you should read some theological um, insight into it. One thing that Genesis makes, Genesis one in particular makes, well both both the stories, but very is that God, is that there is one God who is in total control. Uh, in Genesis one the point is made simply by talking about God. That's it. Well, what one is to put notice how when you get into Genesis two and three you get a different name of God. Yet God talks about it in a different way. Um, when you get to chapter 2, verse 4, um, when the second story starts, it says, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, um, the word God there is the same word, same as the word God back in chapter 1. But when you get Lord in four capital letters, uh, what the translation is telling you is that this isn't the Hebrew word for Lord, when it's in four capital letters like that. It's the particular name of God uh, that Israel knew, the name Yahweh. So, uh, more literally, what Genesis 2 says there is In the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the earth was yet in the earth, no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and so on. And that description, that height for God as Yahweh God, works through chapters, 3 and 4, uh, uh, chapters 2 and 3 um, of Genesis. It comes hardly ever again in the Old Testament. Uh, The significance of the name Yahweh, but it's the name that was especially revealed to Israel. Uh, And so what Genesis 2 is doing is saying, well, you know about that talk about God back in Genesis 1? Well, it was our God. He is the one God. And that's actually made by running together, that point is made, by running together those two terms, Yahweh and God in its very rare fashion. Um, in Genesis 2 and 3 but whether you're just talking about God, God is one or you're talking about the by God in Genesis 2 and 3 it's very clear that there is the one God who is in total control God is one so back in my paragraph 3 on that sheet God is not material God, God is not made of matter you can't, you can't, and you can't ask the question well who made God and where did God come from God has no beginning, no birth, and God has no end, no death, in the way that those little gods can. God is independent of the natural order, and thus God cannot be manipulated, as the Babylonian gods could be. God is not human-like in the sense of being involved in marriage and eating and so on. God is good and gracious paragraph four in when on high Marduk predetermines earthly events uh, and that's kind of good news because it means the stability of the cosmos is guaranteed the, the stars uh, are the means whereby um, Marduk determines what will happen that's astrology astrological religion. religion has a background in Babylon uh, and the relation of Marduk to the cosmos um, presupposes that In contrast to that, in Genesis, there is a personal will of God being worked out. But events are not predetermined. God has a personal relationship with human beings. God is boss, but you can knock at his door. In When on High, Marduk's greatness reflects the greatness of Babylon. It reflects the leadership of Babylon in Mesopotamia. When on High is a political document. It's also a social document. It expresses a vision of society. Genesis 1 has a parallel function. It introduces the history of Israel, which the Israelites regard as the history that God is especially involved in. But it doesn't itself refer to Jerusalem or to the Temple. The explicit connection of creation and history is peculiar to Genesis That is, the Babylonians had creation stories and they had accounts of their own history, but they never put the two together. We we kind of assume, take for granted, the idea that the Israelites wrote a story that started off with creation and then went went on through their story down through the centuries. But if if you weren't so used to that, because it's in the Old Testament, it would be very weird. You don't tell the history of um, uh, the United States or Britain by starting from creation. In When on High, humanity is made through the recycling of trash. The creation of humanity is an afterthought. In Genesis, the creation of humanity is the high point of the story, in Genesis 1, or the centre of the story, in Genesis 2. Genesis has a positive theology of work and a positive theology of marriage. Does this mean work existed before the fall? Said somebody, obviously not liking the idea.
1: I'm afraid so,
0: guys. You were created, to, we were created to work. Both in different ways in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Um, in Genesis 1, uh, we were created to subdue the earth. And the word that the verb is there is the word that you, use, that you, you would use for table fire which is interesting because, you know, my understanding of creation used to be that God created a place that was very much like the beach at Malibu, and my job was simply to lie there and enjoy <laughs> the world. But it turns out, I've been asked through reading the Genesis over the years, it wasn't like that. I'm afraid that God created the world as a place for us to, in a sense, as an unfinished project, um, in which lions did not lie down with lambs, um, and it was our job as humans to get them to. Oh, thank you very much. It's our job to subdue the earth. And instead, that makes it more interesting that when this creature shows up, which isn't a by to obey God, um, Adam and Eve's job is to subdue the creature, and instead they let themselves be subdued by it. In Genesis 2, the equivalent uh, is that the first human beings are created in order to serve the garden for God. Um, literally, it is the word to serve. Now, um, you are created to serve the garden, uh, according to Genesis 2. So, uh, that's true before there's any sin in the world. Now, sin, sin in the world makes the work that was designed to be fulfilling and, in a sense, easy and enjoyable, worthwhile, turns it into something which is, which is hard work, tough work, laborious work, toilsome work. Um, but, uh, but as, as with the relationship between sexes uh, and the other aspects of the way that God created, it, created the world, um, the, uh, those, those aspects of the world were there before the sin in the world. What sin does is then screw them up, not, um, not, not cause work to be invented, but cause work to be hard work in the bad sense. I would say the um, significance of comparing Genesis 1 to the Babylonian creation story is to bring out what a wonderful piece of work it was for the Israelites in exile. When these Babylonian creation stories were first discovered, um, a bit over 100 years ago, people said, uh, "Oh, that's where the that's where the Israelite creation story came from." And people said, "Oh, that's where it is." Mean. But you need to say that a little bit. That's where it came from, only in the sense that. That's a when the Israelites heard the Babylonian creation story, as it were, some prophets amongst them said, that can't be right.
1: That's not the real truth about God and the world.
0: Now I'll tell you a creation story that tells you the real truth about the relationship between God and the world. And um, it would have been, I, I like to think of the Israelites in exile uh, they were so excited about the story that brings home uh, their bodies uh, and the real natural creation. So um, anybody want to ask anything about that?
1: Mhm. Um, I, um, I was wondering why we call it the fall? Like, is it because of that sense of falling out of God's presence, or is it because heaven is supposedly up there and we're supposedly down I'll, here? I'll
0: deal with that, but not just now, if that's alright. Yeah. But you'll notice, you, or perhaps you didn't notice, that I didn't use the word fall. And I never used the word fall. Right. You didn't know, okay. Um, but uh, um, I uh, will talk about that. Uh, Is there any record of Babylonians that turned to Israel after the Ecclesiastes? No. No. Um, and my, I, I should, th- I, I suspect there's evidence of this, but I, but I, I don't know where I, I'd lay my hands on it. Uh, that, that Babylonians got converted, and they got converted, to, as it were, in Babylon, because one of the things about the exile, to, to try to, to get your mind round, is that, no, stop again. The very fact that Ezra, and for that matter Nehemiah, and for that matter Jews in Babylon, even. Uh, 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 even today um, the very fact that they were there shows you that you never think about the exile as all the Jews in um, it
1: wasn't a huge number that went and that the ones that went not a huge number uh, lots of them stayed there so that from then on um, the, uh, that, that's the beginning of the whole.
0: That's the way the exile became dispersion. That is, people who, the Jewish people, scattered over the world. They were free to go back, but they didn't go back. They were spread about. So there was always a Jewish presence in Babylon from then on, and Babylon was at least a significant centre for Jewish faith and um, the development of Jewish thinking and so on, as um, as Jerusalem was. So uh, my guess is that you'd find. Um, Numbers of P- Babylonian people uh, being converted, but they were being converted in Babylon rather than, as it were, they didn't need to come to Palestine to be converted, they Jews. But that's that, I'd I need to go and do some research on Wikipedia to prove that I'm right. Let me hold back for a second. Now, what I want to do now is uh, play you a a modern version of the Genesis 2 creation story. uh, And uh, by obviously I've been um, inviting you to see that if we imagine the Genesis 1 story um, being composed in the context of the exile, it suddenly makes a lot of sense as God's word to people. And uh, what I want to do, uh, and and what that illustrates is how when you tell a story, you tell a story in in light of the audience that you're trying to reach. When you preach the gospel, you preach the gospel in a way that will reach the people that you're seeking to reach. Uh, And I'm suggesting to you that's what Genesis 1 was doing. What I want to uh, play to you is a a retelling of the Genesis 2 creation story uh, that is doing that um, in a modern context. And what I want you to do is to work out uh, when and where this story, uh, this 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 version of the Genesis story, was written. Right.
1: God formed the man's body from the dust of the ground, and breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living person. And then the Lord God built a house in the west, which he called Eden House, and he placed in the house the man he had formed. The Lord ensured that the house was in perfect order, with electricity, central heating, and food and cooking equipment in the kitchen. He put all sorts of furniture in the house, and in the living room, he put a television set with four channels. The Lord God placed the man in Eden House as its householder, to take care of it, and to keep it in the order in which God himself had put it. But the Lord God gave the man this warning. You may watch any of the programs on the television, except for the fourth channel. This is the channel of the knowledge of good and evil. This you may not watch. For this channel will open your eyes to make you aware of right and wrong, good and evil. If you watch this channel, you will be doomed to die. The Lord decided that it was not good for man to be alone. So he resolved to make a companion for him, a helper suited to his needs. So the Lord God formed from the soil every kind of machine. Among them were a washing machine for man's clothes, an electric toaster for his breakfast, a typewriter for his writing, a calculator for his calculations, and a record player and records for his entertainment. And she brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever he called them, that was their name. But still, there was no proper helper for the man. He was someone who could have combined all the skills of the fiber machines, and And then, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and took one of his ribs and closed up the place from where he had taken it and made the rib to a woman. This is it! Adam exclaimed. She is part of my own bone and flesh. Her name is Woman because she was taken from a man. Now this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife in such a way that the two become one person. The house was just the right size for the two of them to live in, and it never occurred to either of them that it ought to be any larger. They had no need of money, for God had provided all that they required, but neither of them were aware of this. They had no reason to disagree with one another, and nothing to fight for. They were completely satisfied in their innocence, then one day, a parrot flew into the house through the window. He was proud and continually talking to himself and admiring himself in the mirror. In the evening, while the woman was in the kitchen, he spoke to her. What watch you eh? <laughs> Of course we're allowed to watch it, replied he. It's only the fourth channel that we're forbidden to watch. God says that if we do, we will die. Ravish! A woman was convinced. (laughs) She went into the living room where Adam was and switched channels. As she watched, she saw a bright light appear in the centre of the screen. Adam was astonished by what he saw, and as they watched, they heard a voice speaking to them from the set. You are Adam and Eve, the first man and woman to be placed on the earth. (laughs) But have you not realised that God has you completely under his control? Are you content with what God has provided for you? Would you not prefer to have a larger house? Are there not more possessions you could have? Could you not be more successful in providing for yourselves? Do you not think you've rights of your own, which you could fight for?" And as the voice went on, they saw the light on the screen grow larger and brighter, until it almost blinded them and then they began to feel guilty. They switched off the steps and they ran and they hid from the Lord. Eve in the kitchen under the table and Adam in the bedroom under the bed. Adam heard God's footsteps on the stairs approaching nearer and nearer because the no one of escape. God entered the room, and commanded Adam to come out from his hiding place. And Adam was forced to admit that he had been watching the forbidden fourth channel. But he added, it was the woman you gave me who switched it on. The Lord entered the kitchen and spoke to Eve. He asked her, how could you do such a thing? The pirate tricked me, she replied. And so, the Lord God said to the parrot, This is your punishment. No longer will you be free to fly around as you please, but you will be kept in a cage, and you will have to rely on man to provide you with food. And to Adam God said, Because you listened to your wife and watched the fourth channel when I told you not to, I have placed a curse on your head. And you will have to struggle to build your own house and to earn enough money to support yourself and your wife. Finally, you will return to the ground from which you came. For you were made from the ground, and to the ground will you return. Then the Lord God Threw Adam and Eve out of Eden house, and he locked and bolted the doors, and took away the key, and barred up the windows, so that they could not return. Here is this place.
0: parrot is straight out of python uh, it's, it's British. How do you know it's British? No, no, that doesn't tell you anything. Because the guy who was reading it was British. Uh, but that doesn't tell you who wrote it. Uh, um yeah. is a British term, actually.
1: <laughs> no, I think so.
0: <laughs> but there are bits of a category. The word telly uh, is one. Um, uh, um, I think there are others, but I am going to come up with now, what they are. But there are, there are linguistic, there are, point, there are little word indications that the, that the dialect uh, of English, um, that the person who wrote it speaks, is um, British rather than American. Here's a kind of trick one. It, as some of the laughs indicated, it's it pre-feminist, right? Um, and yet it was actually written by a woman, uh, which is another—you uh, can't tell from the, there was a, a British guy reading it, doing it, but you can't tell—you couldn't tell from who's doing it, uh, who wrote it, and, um, and say it was uh, what British person has happened? Want. yeah. she loved <laughs> okay so um so so a suspicious um interpreter can uh, can see what's going on there
1: <laughs> um, now uh, wh- what
0: With regard to Genesis, or with regard to that? With
1: regard to Genesis, probably. How the author
0: was shaped by the... And yeah, so
1: maybe the, the Steve Joplin's argument
0: for the... Jobin, yeah. Steve Joplin, yeah. argument. Um, yeah. Ye- yes, when, when, when we come to the patriarchy thing, it'll come out. Me, I'll try and say something about it, but remind me. About Thank you. Now, one of, the, I think what, what, one of the reasons why I find... Uh, what, one of the things that emerges from that thing that we're doing... So I is that uh, you can actually get most of the answers to the questions uh, with regard to background. Um, if, you, uh, if you're not um, a, an Anglo-American, you probably will find it harder. Uh, you'd have to uh, discover more in order to get in order to know the answer to those questions. There are some bits of the uh, of the answers to those questions around background that you. It would take a very long time for for an Anglo-American to discover. For instance, I know because I was there that there was a point uh, when British TVs had four knobs, but but there were only three channels because it was before the introduction of Channel Four. Uh, And so that particular little motif was really clever uh, in the story in picking up the fact that that we all did have, well, at least many people uh, had, did have TVs in which there were four knobs but only three channels. Um, Now, now, one of the things that illustrates for me is that um, it's, we we need to to combine a a sort of confidence about the the possibility of understanding 80% um, of scripture, 90% of scripture, um, in terms of the cultural background, the things that come out of this context and so on. Recognizing that there's 10% we probably will never get, but we wouldn't shrug on our shoulders about that. Um, it's, it's easy to become, well, either not to allow for the fact that there are some things we'll never get, uh, or to be so overwhelmed by the fact that there are the we'll never get that we are afraid we don't understand any of it. Uh, and, but those two extreme assumptions are both wrong, I think. Uh, it's with a little bit of thinking and, and knowledge. You'll discover most, you'll discover a lot, um, and that's even true when you're then quite cross culturally uh, as you are when you're reading scripture, going cross culturally not only um, geographically, uh, but also chronologically. But that does remind me of a neat comment that somebody, asked, that somebody made in their posting about how the cultural assumptions about um, family and so on uh, in the Genesis or particularly Genesis 2 and 3 four stories, uh, were, were more like, um, suggested more the life of Asia than the life of the United States. Uh, and what, was it a good idea to try to interpret um, the Bible against an Asian background? Uh, and I'm sure that the answer to that is true, the answer to that is yes, the um, same is true about the African uh, background. Um, and uh, it reminded me, um, of th- that I always remind you, uh, that the Bible is an Asian book, that Jesus was an Asian person. I once said, about, said that in the class, and there was a little Vietnamese woman sitting here, and she nearly fell off her chair. <laughs> Jesus was an Asian? <laughs> <laughs> you, what? He wasn't a European, Did he? he was not white! And neither was he black, he wasn't African, he
1: wasn't
0: European, he was an Asian. Um, the, 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 the Asian book. So it won't be surprising if, if an Asian, but more a traditional culture, kind of, helps us into understanding all sorts of um, things uh, about the scriptures. Um, <laughs> Uh, we'll, no, I'll, I'll, I'll say a couple of things, I'm going, going to do page 33, I'll just do a couple of things on there, but then I'll stop, so we have a to So, what, what, what we, what I want us to do now, uh, is to think about the Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 story, um, and to see that, again, that we're doing the same thing with the right to it, as we were with the Eden House story, and as we have in a way with Genesis 1 story, uh, asking with regard to Genesis 2 and 3 and 4, what's the historical background? As a number of you in your postings said, well, what's the, what's the background here? What kind of context are this speaking to? Um, uh, let me, as it were, warn you about the negative results of this before we go down it. Um, which are the, but in my opinion asking about the historical background of Genesis 1 and asking why the story works the way it does in light of the historical background is really fruitful. Uh, It's possible to come to a reasonably secure answer and to discover things on the basis of that. When we come to do that with regard to the the Adam and Eve and the Cain and Abel um, story, uh, the results are much more mixed. Uh, There there are lots of possible theories, and it's those possible theories that we'll have a look at um, after the break, on page 33. Uh, but there's such a variety of theories, such a variety of possibilities open, with no way of, dis- of, 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 dis- of making or of deciding on the right one between them, um, that you end up as having to say, well, honestly, we don't know. Uh, and, and that illustrates another thing about how, what interpreting the authors of our the system is like. Different sorts of questions work with regard to different sorts of passages. Different sorts of questions don't work with different sorts of passages. Asking a question about the historical background of Genesis 1 works, in the end, uh, asking a question about the historical background of Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 doesn't work very well, and how and why that's so, we'll look at after the break, go away for 20 minutes, come back.